Chapter One of Old Old Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charlie Gray. Old Old Fairy Tales by Laura Valentine. Chapter One Goody Two Shoes. In the latter part of the reign of Queen Bess there was an honest, industrious countryman named Meanwell, living upon a small farm which he held under Sir Peter Gripe, a very hard, covetous landlord, who was persuaded by one of his richer tenants, Hugh Grassball, as greedy as himself, to take away the lands held by Meanwell and other poor tenants, and let him have them to increase his own large farm. When Meanwell was thus cruelly turned out of his little farm, which had enabled him to support a wife and two young children, called Tommy and Marjorie, he tried in vain to find another cottage with land. Care and misfortune soon shortened his days, and his wife, not long after, followed him to the grave. On her deathbed she did not repine at her losses and sufferings, but humbly prayed that heaven would watch over and protect her helpless orphans when she should be taken from them. At her death these poor children were left in a sad plight, and as there were but few people in the village of Moldwell, where they lived, able to befriend them, they could get no regular meals, and had to make all sorts of shifts to keep themselves from starving. At times, indeed, they were obliged to put up with the wild fruits and berries that they picked from the hedges. They were also without proper clothes to keep them warm and as for shoes, they had not even two pairs between them. Tommy, who had to go about more than his sister, had a pair to himself, but little Marjorie, for a long time, wore but one shoe. These two children, in all their trials, never ceased to love each other dearly, nor did they forget the good lessons which their kind mother had taught them. And well did they deserve her anxious love, and the earnest prayers she had offered up to heaven for their welfare. They never murmured, nor even thought of taking anything from their neighbors, however hungry they might be, but were always looking out for some sort of work, although but little of it did they get. But this hard lot really befell them for their good. For without it, how could their excellent qualities have been so well brought out, and their praiseworthy conduct have become the talk of the village? Heaven, indeed, had heard their dying mother's prayers, and had watched over and protected them through all their troubles. Relief was at hand, and better things were in store for them. It happened that Mr. Goodall, the worthy clergyman of the parish, heard of their sad wandering sort of life, for they were without a home and had generally to sleep in some barn or outhouse and so he sent for the two children, and kindly offered to shelter them until they could get regular work to do. Immediately after this unlooked-for blessing had fallen upon them, a gentleman of rank and wealth came from London on a visit at the parsonage, and no sooner did he hear the story of the orphans than his heart warmed toward them, and he resolved to be their friend. The first thing he did was to order a pair of shoes to be made for Marjorie, and he also placed money in her hand to buy good and suitable clothes with. But he did much more than this for Tommy. Not only did he get clothes for him, but he offered to take him to London if he would consent to go, promising to put him in a way to do well by going abroad, after he had acquired sufficient knowledge to fit him for such a step. When the time arrived for her brother to start off with his generous friend, 
Marjorie was in great trouble, and her eyes filling with tears, they embraced each other over and over again. But Tommy, in order to comfort his weeping sister, promised he would not fail to come over to Moldwell to see her when he should return from foreign countries. After he was gone, Marjorie began to recover her usual cheerfulness. She knew it was of no use to keep on crying. But what helped greatly to put her into good spirits was the pleasure she took in her new shoes. As soon as the old shoemaker brought them, she put them on and ran at once to the clergyman's wife, crying out with glee as she pointed to them. Two shoes, ma'am! See? Two shoes! These words, two shoes, she kept on repeating to everybody she met, and by this means came to be called for a long while after by the name of Goody Two-Shoes. Now Marjorie was a thoughtful little girl, and after she had lived at the parsonage some time, she noticed more and more how good and wise the clergyman was, and she could only suppose that this was owing to his great learning. The poor girl then felt ashamed of her own ignorance, and was most anxious to learn how to read and write, although at that time, in distant country places, very little instruction was given to poor children. Mr. Goodall, however, when he found how desirous she was to improve herself in every way, kindly taught her what she most wished to know. As he was a clever man, he took care that she should not learn by rote, so, as she advanced, he made her think well over each lesson, and though this made her progress a little slower, she became, in good time, a better scholar than any of the children who went to the village school. As soon as she found that this was the case, she began to reflect that it was her duty to devote some of her spare time, with Mr. Goodall's permission, to the instruction of such poor children as could not go to school. After much thinking and contriving, she hit upon a simple but clever plan to get these ignorant children to attend to her teaching. She knew that the different letters of the alphabet were sufficient to spell every word, only that those used as capital letters were larger than the others. Now, as very few books were then printed, and they were scarcely ever to be seen in the hands of poor people, she thought she could get over the difficulty by cutting, with a good knife, out of several pieces of wood, six sets of capital letters like these. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. And then ten sets of these common letters. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. When, after much pains and trouble, she had finished all these wooden letters, she managed with some difficulty to borrow an old spelling book, and, with the help of this, she made her playmates set up the words she wished them to spell. Her usual way with them when she could get several of them together about her was this. Suppose the word to be spelled was pudding. She always chose words at first that sounded pleasantly to her little pupil's ears. One of the children, who were placed in a circle round her, brought the capital letter P from the large set. The next picked up U from the small set. The next two a D each, the next I, and so on until the whole word was spelled. Marjorie, in her simplicity, fancied that the first steps in knowledge ought to be as much like play as possible and the result proved how right she was, for her little companions were always eager for this game, as they called it, and were very sorry if they were thrown out by picking up a wrong letter and had to play no more that morning. Before long, 
not only her poor pupils but their ignorant parents too were very thankful for the trouble she took in teaching her playfellows and as it often happened they could not be spared to be with her of a morning she would then go round to their different cottages to teach them carrying her wooden letters in a basket on one of these occasions the worthy clergyman asked a friend of his a substantial yeoman named roland to accompany marjorie in her rounds that he might judge as an eye-witness of the results of her teaching this good man was much pleased with all he saw and heard and as he gave his opinion in writing to mr goodall we cannot do better than to make use of his own words after setting out marjorie and i we first came to jerry hodges and no sooner had we tapped at the door than the cottager's wife came out and when she saw marjorie said oh if it isn't little goody two-shoes and i am right glad to see thee that i be pray come in and this good gentleman too that ye may both see how well our billy has learned his lessons the poor little fellow i found could not speak plain but he had learned all his letters and was quite able to pick them out and put them together in short words when asked to do so the next place we visited was widow giles's who to protect herself at night kept a fierce-looking dog and the moment marjorie opened the gate he began barking at a great rate this called out his mistress who scolded him sharply for daring to bark at goody two-shoes after quieting the noisy cur she asked us in and seemed very proud to show how clever her little sally was in learning her lessons indeed i found the child was very ready at spelling and she pronounced the words clearly and correctly also then we called at toby cook's cottage here a number of children were met together to play who all came round marjorie very fondly and begged her to set the game for them she then took out her wooden letters from her basket and asked the girl who was next to her what she was to have for dinner apple pie she answered and went to look for a capital a the next two produced a p each and so they went on until they had spelled apple pie complete other words were given by the children chiefly the names of things they liked and were used to such as bread milk beef etc which were for the most part spelled carefully very few mistakes having been made until the game was finished after this she set them the following lesson to get by heart he that will thrive must rise by five he that has thriven may lie till seven truth may be blamed but cannot be shamed tell me with whom you go and i'll tell you what you do a friend in need is a friend indeed love your friends who are true and your friends will love you marjorie next took me to see kitty sullen this little girl used to be very self-willed and vain because she could dress more finely than the poor cottagers children i was glad to see however that she paid attention to marjorie's good advice and i hear it generally reported that madge has done wonders by setting her an example of humility and kindness and that she has much softened her stubborn heart on our way homeward we saw a well-dressed gentleman sitting under a couple of great trees at the corner of the rookery he had a sort of crutch by him and seemed to be ailing but perhaps this was partly put on that he might try marjorie's wit for as soon as he saw us he called out to her to come near him and then said more in jest than in pain pray little maid 
"'Can you tell me what I must do to get well?' "'Yes, good sir,' she replied readily. "'Go to bed when the rooks do, and get up with them at morn. "'Earn as they do, what you eat, and then you will get health and keep it.' "'The gentleman seemed quite taken with the good sense of her reply, "'and with her modest look, too, "'and begged her to accept a small silver coin as a token of his regard for her merit. "'One day, as Marjorie was coming home from the next village,' She met with some wicked, idle boys who had tied a young raven to a staff, and were just about to make a victim of the poor thing by throwing stones at it. She offered at once to buy the raven for a penny, and this they agreed to. She then brought him home to the parsonage, and gave him the name of Ralph, and a fine bird he was. Madge soon taught him to speak several words, and also to pick up letters, and even to spell a word or two. Some years before Margaret began to teach the poor cottager's children, Sir Walter Weldon, a wealthy knight living in the neighborhood, had set up an elderly widow lady, who had seen better days, in a small school in the village of Moldwell, that she might teach the children of those who could afford to pay something toward it. This gentlewoman, whose name was Gray, was at length taken seriously ill, and was no longer able to attend to her duties. When Sir Walter heard of this, he sent for Mr. Goodall, and asked him to look out for someone who would be able and willing to take Mrs. Gray's place as the mistress of the school. The worthy clergyman could not think of one so well qualified for the task as Marjorie Meanwell, who, though but young, was grave beyond her years, and was growing up to be a comely maiden, and when he told his mind to the knight, Marjorie was chosen by the latter at once as the successor of poor Mrs. Gray. Sir Walter continued to be very good to the sick widow until she died, which happened shortly afterward. He likewise built a larger schoolhouse for Marjorie's use. This she needed, for she would have all her old pupils without payment about her that liked to come to the school, as well as the regular scholars belonging to it. From this time no one called her Goody Two-Shoes, but generally Mrs. Marjorie, and she was more and more liked and respected by her neighbors. Soon after Mrs. Marjorie had become mistress of the school, she was lucky enough to save a dove from the hands of some cruel boys who were tormenting the poor creature, and she called him Tom, in remembrance of her brother now far away, and from whom she had heard no tidings ever since he left her. But in those bygone days writing letters was not much practiced, and there was no such thing as a post office to be seen anywhere. Tom learned to pick up a few letters— but he was not so clever as her old favorite Ralph, and, of course, could not be taught to utter a single word. About this time, a lamb had lost its dam, and its owner was about to have it killed. When Mrs. Marjorie heard of this, she bought the gentle creature of him and brought it home, thinking to please and benefit her pupils by putting such an example before them of going early to bed. Some neighbors, finding how fond of such pets Mrs. Marjorie was, presented her with a nice playful little dog called Jumper and also with a skylark. Now Master Ralph was a shrewd bird, and a bit of a wag, too, and when Will the Lamb and Carol the Lark made their appearance, the knowing fellow picked out the following verse to the great amusement of everyone. Early to bed and early to rise is the way to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Mrs. Marjorie was ever on the lookout to be useful to her neighbors. Knowing more than they did, she was often able to give them good advice, and to save them from losses which they were about to incur through their own ignorance. Many of these good folks depended much on their hay. 
now a traveller coming from london had presented mrs marjorie with a new kind of instrument a rough-looking barometer very inferior to those now used by the help of which she could often guess correctly how the weather would be a day or two beforehand she made herself so useful indeed that they all came to her for advice and profited by it in often getting in their hay without damage while much of that in the neighbouring villages was spoiled this caused a great talk about the country and so provoked were the people of the distant villages at the better luck of the moldwell folks that they accused mrs marjorie of being a witch and sent old nicky noodle a numbskull and a gossiping busybody to go and tax her with it and to scrape together whatever evidence he could against her when this wiseacre saw her at her school door with her raven on one shoulder and the dove on the other the lark on her hand and the lamb and little dog by her side the sight took his breath away for a time and he scampered off crying out a witch a witch a witch she laughed at the simpleton's folly and called him jocosely a conjurer for his pains but poor mrs marjorie did not know how much folly and wickedness there was in the world and she was greatly surprised to find that the half-witted nicky noodle had got a warrant against her at the meeting of the justices before whom she was summoned to appear many of her neighbors were present ready to speak up for her character if needful but it turned out that the charge made against her was nothing more than nicky's idle tale that she was a witch nowadays it seems strange that such a thing could be but in england at that period so fondly styled by some of the good old times many silly and wicked things were constantly being done especially by the rich and powerful against the poor such things as would not now be born among such old blind follies was a common belief in witchcraft the practice of which was severely punishable by law and many a poor harmless old woman against whom her ignorant neighbors had a spite has been tortured even to death on the stupid charge of being a witch it happened that among the justices who met to hear this charge against mrs marjorie there was but one silly enough to think there was any ground for it his name was shallow and it was he who had granted the warrant but she soon silenced him when he kept repeating that she must be a witch to foretell the weather besides harboring many strange creatures about her after pointing to the friends who had come to speak for her character and her truth she said very calmly looking at this weak man full in the face i have never supposed that any one here could be so weak as to believe that there was any such thing as a witch but if i am a witch here is my charm she added laying her weather-glass upon the table this it is alone that has helped me to know the state of the weather and as for my animal companions your worship even might profit as i have done by their good example my tender dove she continued is a pattern of true love my watchful raven of forethought my joyous lark of thankfulness my gentle lamb of innocence and my trusty dog of sagacity if it be witchcraft to have such teachers to remind me of my duties then indeed i am a witch please your worship at your service fortunately her patron sir walter weldon one of the justices present was well acquainted with the use of the new instrument when he had explained its nature to his foolish brother justice he turned the whole charge into ridicule and finished by giving mrs marjorie such a high character for knowledge prudence and charity that the bench of justices not only released her at once from the trumpery charge but gave her their public thanks for the good services she had done in their neighbourhood one of these gentlemen sir edward lovell an intimate friend of sir walter's 
conceived indeed so high an opinion of her virtues and abilities that having been lately left a widower he offered her very liberal terms if she would consent to come to his house take the management of it and educate his daughter also she respectfully declined this handsome offer for she thought it was her duty to continue teaching the children of the poor who but for her she feared would remain in ignorance several months after this sir edward fell ill and was for some time in a state of danger he then repeated his request that mrs marjorie would come to take charge of his house now that he was quite unable to manage it and look after his dear children the thoughtful young woman then took counsel with her kind old friend the clergyman and by his advice she agreed to undertake the proposed employment until sir edward's restoration to health she completely won that gentleman's respect and admiration by her skill and tenderness in nursing him through the remainder of his illness and by the great care she took of his children all the members of his household loved her for her goodness by the time that sir edward fully regained his health he had become more and more attached to mrs marjorie he thought she could hardly be matched for propriety of conduct for good sense and for sweetness of temper and with all this he fancied too that she had not her equal anywhere for good looks it was not then to be wondered at that when she talked of going back to her school he should feel dull and melancholy nor that after due reflection he should offer her his hand in marriage we know already how modest and free from vanity and false pride mrs marjorie was this proposal therefore took her quite by surprise and so undeserving did she think herself of the honour intended her that at first she was inclined not to accept it but this her rich suitor would not hear of and as her true friends sir walter and mr goodall tried hard to persuade her to accept sir edward's hand telling her she would then be enabled to do many more good works than she had ever done before she at last yielded she had not at all objected because she did not like sir edward for she really loved and admired him as he deserved but only because she feared it was not her duty to leave her old humble friends to be a fine lady all things having been settled and the day fixed the great folks and others in the neighbourhood came in crowds to see the wedding for glad they were that one who had ever since she was a child been so deserving was to be thus rewarded just as the bride and bridegroom were about to enter the church their friends assembled outside were busily engaged in watching the progress of a horseman handsomely dressed and mounted and as gay in appearance as a courtier who was galloping up a distant slope leading to the church as eagerly as if he wanted to get there before the marriage should take place when all was in readiness for the holy ceremony to commence and the clergyman just going to open his book a strange gentleman richly dressed no other indeed than the horsemen who had been before noticed by the crowd rushed into the church calling out that they should stop the marriage all were astonished at this interruption particularly the couple about to be united each of whom the stranger immediately addressed apart during this parley bystanders were more and more surprised especially when they saw sir edward standing almost speechless and his bride crying and fainting away in the stranger's arms but this seeming grief was soon over and was presently converted into a flood of joy this gentleman so elegantly dressed proved to be no other than marjorie's brother our former acquaintance little tommy now mr meanwell just returned with great honour and profit from a distant foreign country 
As soon as the news reached him that his sister was going to be married, he resolved to take horse from London, where he then was, and try to reach the spot in time to find out whether it was a suitable match for one so dear to him as Marjorie was, and to whom he was now able to give a fortune if she needed it. All was soon explained, and the loving couple were then returned to the altar and were married to the satisfaction of all present. After her happy marriage, Lady Lovell continued to practice all kinds of good. She was not content in giving largely in the way of charity, but she constantly went about visiting the poor, cheering them up and helping them in their troubles and comforting them in sickness. She took great pains in increasing and improving the school of which she had been the mistress, and placed there a poor but worthy scholar and his wife to preside over it. She lived happily with Sir Edward for many years, and as her life had been regarded as the greatest blessing, so her death was looked upon as the greatest calamity that had befallen the neighborhood for many years. End of chapter 1